0: I also want it to all get together. Even before there was a message, even before there was, a book, it was, it was a worship, just sitting there and seeing everybody together, for me, was so powerful. And you realise that we are part of something so much bigger than our size. You know, just yet is something so much bigger than this congregation and, this, and just now is such a small part of 4.12 and 4.12 is such a small part of the Kingdom of God. But when we have an opportunity to really come together, it allows us to see something of a bigger picture. And uh, it can do one of two things. How many of you were inspired and excited by Andrew's preach? How many of you felt scared and insignificant? Because the that side of it as well. You know, hey, look at all these millions of people who need Jesus, who are going to a crisis of eternity. We need to rescue them. We need to be part of the plan <laughs> and look around God. I don't know about you, but there's been many times in my life where I've felt really insignificant, outnumbered, overpowered, ill-equipped. And these are the people I want to talk to this morning. Those of us who are feeling insignificant and unequipped and useless and too small and outnumbered and overwhelmed. Is there anybody here who feels overwhelmed if I said, Right, I want you to commit to sharing the gospel with somebody this week? have many of you would start getting a little bit. Yeah. It shouldn't be scary, but it is. And I want to start with this incredibly empowering and motivational statement. You are insignificant. (laughs) (laughs) But God isn't. But God isn't. And the amazing miracle of God that I've seen over and over and over again in my life and in the lives of many people is somehow God chooses insignificant things. And insignificant people, and just incredibly significant things So, I want to say if you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed and a little bit insignificant this morning, that's okay as long as you're not focusing on yourself, but you're looking at them. And I want to tell you about Bob. And I don't often give my preachers a title, but the title of my preach this morning is Be Like Bob. (laughs) Be Like Bob. Uh, not fully disliked, and hopefully, this will encourage just and inspire us. You know, just something that happened recently. Um, I was asked to go and uh, teach in a foundations course uh, in Wimber. And uh, you know, when, when you when you when you fulfil the function within the church that I do right now, you go and get the balance right. I'm not more important. I'm not bigger than anybody else. But we've got to use our time wisely and we've got to go where we are most effective. So Ross asked, Will you come and teach on salvation and baptism in Windows? And I said yes. And then somebody said to me, Is that the best use of your time? Because anybody can teach, you know. He's got guys that can teach on that and you know, why to not our biggest congregation and You know, you've got a lot on your plate at the moment, and you're off to PE this week, and all of these things. And it's almost like that thing—it'll be insignificant. Maybe, maybe it's not a big enough thing for you to be brought a whole evening to. But I prayed about it, and I felt the Lord wanted me to do that. So it's not what we see as significant, but what He he sees as significant. And I realised that. The Lord wanted me there, because it wasn't about imparting information about what salvation meant. He, he had a deeper purpose. And so I showed them salvation and baptism. And nine people yeah. that evening responded and so on, I said, I need to get baptized. So One guy who has been saved for 26 years. said, I've never heard this before. And he got baptized three days later. There was a German girl there, who and, and I'm speaking, I'm, I'm on salvation, and I'm looking at this crowd, and it's all guys from the congregation, so I think they all know what I'm talking about. she so sits down and asks me question, and she says, Why does God demand that we worship Him? That's a really, really good question. <laughs> and so I answered that, and after she came to speak to me, completely unsafe. But she's asking me these questions like, How do you know that Jesus is the way? Is it not arrogant to think that? Jesus is better than the other ways and, you know, all of these things, and I just spoke to her, and she saw all poem, and uh, unfortunately the time ran out. But then, a week later, when Jeff was like preaching on the Holy Spirit, she gave her life to Christ, yes. went through deliverance, and had a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. And that's not kind of insignificant. That is eternity changing. Now, the thing with what I'm going to talk, talk about here is things that we think are insignificant can have an impact greater than we can imagine. Let me ask you this. You said Billy Graham. Yeah. How many people did Billy Graham get there? We like Billy Graham to the Lord. He's long. Here's the deal, who let Andrew stand to the wall? Now can you imagine that Sunday, that Billy Graham maybe responded, or in a meeting and he responded to the gospel as a young child. He's like, oh, oh, that's nice. You know, one little kid responds, okay. One of my heroes is a guy called Larry Roman. Anybody heard of Larry Roman? The father of contemporary Christian music, the first Christian rocker, absolute legend. And he says he was in a meeting as a child when the preacher uh, threw out the net and nobody responded except him. (laughs) Can you imagine that preacher went home that night feeling absolute failure because only one kid responded to the gospel in that meeting. The adaptive responded impacted the whole world. You don't know. You cannot see the eternal consequences of your actions. Even when you preach the gospel and then don't respond. You know, I'm one of the world's worst evangelists. <laughs> I can spend half an hour talking to an atheist and I feel myself backsliding instead of then getting said. That's what sometimes. And I fine find that. And was a time where I kind of lost hope of showing the gospel because nobody ever seemed to respond. And then I read a statistic that said on average people are exposed to the gospel six times before they respond. And so I just started thinking, well, if I showed the gospel and they don't respond, maybe I was number three. (laughs) (laughs) And, and in eternity, one day, we'll look back and we'll see that person's journey and say, you had a part to play. Somebody else got the reward, but you were part of the journey. It seemed a failure, it seemed insignificant, but it wasn't. So don't judge your significance by what your eyes see. So what does God to So I want to tell us a story. Tell tell your story about Paul. And it's in the Bible. Did you know there's a guy called Bob in the Bible? Old Testament. Old Testament, yeah. (laughs) I I don't even know if his name was Bob, because he's not even named, but I call him Bob because it just makes it easy for me. And so we're going to look at uh, 1 Samuel from chapter 13. And what's happened is Saul has become king of Israel. And we know that Saul wasn't first choice, right? Israel had demanded a king, they hadn't been patient, um, they hadn't waited for God's chosen king. And the other thing they did, and this is a mistake, they said, he was a king like the nations around us, so they've got a king just like all the other nations, rather than a king after God's own heart. Careful yeah. okay, what you ask for when you observe. I want his gift? No, you don't. I wish I could sing up as well as some people. I can't. So please, God, let me worship you. The only time people ask me to sing is when we want to end But Saul was God's first choice. He's not the best not the best He's not the best gifted. But he's still successful for a while. And we read later when he's when he no video. And Samuel says to him, "If you would just been faithful, God would have established your kingdom forever." Even, even Saul's kingdom, God would have established forever. it's just been not But he's king, and he's fighting the Philistines from uh, chapter 13. And he, he starts off doing well. He's been king in a couple of years, and he says, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul, and a 1,000 were with Jonathan. So basically, he's got so many men in his army available to his army, he can afford to be picky. And he chooses the best 3,000. And he says, I'll take 2,000, my son of Jonathan can have 1,000. And so they've got 3,000 as their army, the standing army, army of Israel. Which seems quite impressive until you see what everybody else had in the area at the time. But even with the smaller number, with the thousand. We see that Jonathan gets a great victory. From verse five, it says the Philistines must live to fight with Israel. Uh, sorry, before that, what happens is, um, he sends the rest of all, and then Jonathan defeats the Philistines. There's a little Philistine garrison, and Jonathan gets a victory, and, hey, you win! Except that just provokes the Philistines, and the Philist- Philistines say, uh, right, now we're gonna sort these, Israelites are, And so the Philistines, it says and the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. How many troops does Israel have? 3,000.
1: The Philistines
0: mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots. 6,000 horsemen. And troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. Now you're, you're an Israeli soldier right now. How insignificant are you feeling? Are you intimidated? Are you scared? Are you overwhelmed? If you look at the earthly situation, yes, you're in big trouble. And they came up in the encounter in Mash to the east of Bethlehem. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs, and in cisterns. Basically, anything that could fit a body, they hid a body there. i hiding! They all went into hiding. And some Hebrews crossed the ford of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. So in other words, out of the army, some hid, some ran away. And we'll read later, some even went over to the Philistine army. And it's interesting. The hiding places. Where did people hide? They're hid in caves and holes. They're hid in tombs and in cisterns. And those things are simple. I'm not going to go into all that this morning. But for example, a cistern is is mentioned throughout Scripture, and God actually condemns Israel at one point. For trying to keep water in a system rather than letting the river flow. And a system is where you try and hold onto the little water that you've got because you fear a drought. It's a man made way of trying to hold on to water rather than trusting God's provision. And so so they all hide. But Saul was still at Galgal, Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. So he's still king, and people are still following him, but they're following him trembling. Leading this congregation, do you ever feel like people are following you, but they're following you trembling? <laughs> it's very hard to lead trembling people. It's very hard as a leader to have the faith for everybody. And sometimes, leader, you, you need to carry people through tough times. We need to bear with one another's burdens. But it's not Neil's job, or the elder's job, to put faith into you. Sure. It's the job to work with Christ to help you find faith. But Saul makes a mistake. I'm gonna, I was going to go into that, but we're not going to go into that. He doesn't wait on God. He's so afraid, he, he offers this sacrifice which is not his to offer. He doesn't wait for the prophet, he doesn't wait for the right person. And he tries to do a religious thing, but he's not trusting God. And I want to say this, even when we come to uh, evangelism, uh, when it comes to anything God supposed us to do, we can fall back and say, well, let's do the religious thing. There's no power in the religious thing, there's power in the relationship even the gospel message does the gospel carry power yeah. it does when it's, when it's illuminated by the Holy Spirit yes. I can't make a blind man see, I can't persuade somebody into the kingdom logic won't do it, I've studied apologetics, I can argue about creation, dinosaurs philosophy uh, where does evil come from I can argue all of those things it won't get anybody saved does I matter how bright a torch I can shine it directly in your eyes, you can blind not see it. Now that is not to say we don't do anything. Yes we do what we can do, but we've got to be aware that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that works through us. We've got to make sure we're vessels for the Holy Spirit to fall through, rather than just doing the religious thing. And by the time the people had been intimidated and Saul's failed, it says, "And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about six hundred men."
1: So three thousand looked
0: insignificant, and more than half of them were gone. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people who were present with them stayed. In and the, the Philistines had camped. And there was no blacksmith to be found in Israel. Can we read in verse nineteen. For the Philistines had been oppressing them and said, We don't want the Hebrews making spears or swords. So if you wanted your farming you look sharp, you had to go to the Philistines and pay. But it's saying that not a single person in that army had a sword or a spear except Jonathan and Saul. Two swords against chariots, horsemen, swordsmen, spearmen. So not only were they outnumbered, they were thoroughly ill equipped for the task. But Jonathan, put Jonathan, on the day of battle, it says in verse 22, so on the day of battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan is still bad. And the garrison of the Philistines went out in the pass of And I want to say this. The sword in scripture, what, what is it symbolic of as we read the whole of the Bible? The word of the Spirit, right? The Spirit of God is like to in the Word of God. So we've got to be people who are filled with the Word of the Spirit. And unfortunately, we're living in a generation where many people who call themselves followers of Christ are walking around without swords. And we can either wait until everybody's got a sword, but it ain't gonna happen, or you can look around and say, I'm going one with a sword, so I've got some responsibility here. You know, one of, the, one of the tragedies of church, even in a church like ours, is somebody putting it nobody's worshipping passionately. Well... <laughs> so, what are you doing? Well, you know, there's nobody really teaching the foundations of the faith. Well, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, we're not got enough kids leaders and, you know, my kids don't, you know, there's not enough leaders to look after my kids. Excuse me, who's kids? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Do you have a sword in your hand? Then pick it up and use it. Even if you're the only one. And we'll see what happens when the one person with the sword picks it up and uses it. So one day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his arm. Okay, so I want to focus a little bit on the young man who carried his arm. Bob! Bob! Bob. Bob. Whoa. We're going to call him Bob, because the Bible doesn't even bother to give him a name. And we'll see just now what an incredible man he is, what a hero of the day. when we read Hebrews 11 and it talks about Abraham and Moses and David, it doesn't talk about Bob. Bob doesn't even get his name mentioned. But you know what? It's incredible what we can achieve if we don't care about our own glory. And our own recognition. <laughs> uh, if you haven't thought about who gets the glory, you can achieve great things and that huge significance in the kingdom. Just a little story. I was in an elders meeting. This is some years ago. And look amazing about our flesh. Certainly when we've been um, around church long enough. How we can make our flesh sound really spiritual. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, for example, somebody who's really critical, they don't think of themselves as critical. So I'm very prophetic the service. No, it's <laughs> critical. <laughs> okay. So we're in elders, and this is an elders meeting. So you imagine that people were. And, and somebody said to Andrew, and this sounds really spiritual. Andrew, the Lord has called and gifted to preach and teach and I must be faithful with the gift that God's given me. Therefore, if you don't give me an opportunity to, to preach and teach, I would have to leave and go and be somewhere where I can be faithful with my gift. Does that sound spiritual? Well, it isn't. That's flesh manifesting and having itself as being spiritual. And I went to Andrew afterwards this week, and I said, Andrew, I really feel that God, God has called me and me to preach and teach. And I had to be faithful with that. And the way I'm faithful with that is I submit to you as my leader and I lay it in your feet. And you do with it what you want. And i said before the Lord one day and he says, why didn't you preach and teach? I said, I offered to you, but my leader said no. <laughs> and he said, say, well, don't faithful servant. And then he goes go to Adam and say, why didn't you release this guy? But if I wasn't called to preach and teach, he's just saved me a lot of pain, and you guys a lot (laughs) of (laughs) pain. If we release every single person who told me and told us that they were called to preach and teach, believe me, you guys would suffer. (laughs) More than you already do. But I added this: I said, Andrew, if all you ever ask me to do is research, prepare. Write things that make your preaching better, I'm happy to do that. Because it's not about whether I'm at the front and get the glory and whether I missed a two minute move or whatever it is. The point is that the kingdom is our balance and God gets the glory. What you can achieve is immeasurable if you don't care about your own reputation. And so Bob doesn't even get a mention of his name, but he's there. So Jonathan says to Bob, and you know, if you're into history, you've, you've probably come across some of the all-time great motivational uh, speeches before battle. You know, uh, Henry Henry the You know, what's more to preach, to your friends. Or you know, all of these great. You know, uh, we will fight them on the beaches. You know, Winston Churchill. All of these. All of these great uh, speeches that have inspired people. Uh, in battle. And Jonathan gives one of the most inspiring speeches of all time, and he says, "Come, let's go over to the Philistine Garrison on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) That's all he says. He says to Jonathan, listen, we're vastly outnumbered. They've got way more equipment than us. There's not much chance of coming back but let's go. And his armor bearer is available in love. And says, okay. And I want to say this. The, one of the best, not the best, one of the best qualities you can have that God is looking for is to be willing. Just make yourself willing. The first time Andrew Selleck actually ever asked me to do something Uh, He asked me, Would I like to leave a community in Josh back, Way back in the day. And my answer was, I'd rather be stung slowly to death by Philippines than leave a community. (laughs) I had zero desire to leave a community. But I said, But if you ask me to do it, I'll do it. I'm willing. I don't want to, but I'm willing. One of my heroes is Isaiah. Isaiah meets Jesus in the temple, and then he hears this voice Who shall we send? Who, who are you go for? Us? And he goes, Here am I, send me. He hasn't even heard the word. or aha. You just said, I'm oh, willing. Really? You may feel unable. That's okay. Just make yourself willing. So they're all the ways. And you know what's interesting? Just for the interview about the Bible, it's an interesting story. It's nothing to do with this in a sense. In World War I, the British army were in, in Palestine and they were attacking the Ottoman army and they were preparing for battle the next day, uh, a full-frontal assault which was going to, be, they, they thought it was, going to be, it was going to be a lot of casualties. Mm. On the night before the battle, one of the British officers was sat reading his Bible and he turned to 1 Samuel 14. And he said, that's exactly where we're at right now. And he said, Jonathan finds this hidden route. And if the, if the Bible is true, that hidden route will still be here. Yeah. And so he took a few soldiers and he found this hidden route. And they were able to take some of their troops through this hidden route, take the Ottoman army completely by surprise, and win a victory with hardly any casualties. Because a man dared to leave this with God, it's a true story. It's true. So. so, anyway, so Jonathan is on the verge along. And then Jonathan gives his next inspiring speech. We've this in verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armour, Bob, Come, Bob, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder Him from saving by many or by few. How many of would be inspired by that? Come, maybe the Lord will work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all missing our lives after all. Come, maybe the Lord will work. <laughs> Hey, come, let's preach the gospel to this group of fooligans on the street. Maybe, maybe God will work. Maybe He will beat us up. Maybe they beat us up. Praise God. That's like, I'm out of fear of what might not happen to stop you. Or maybe God. And the incredible thing is, usually, when we say maybe God, God does. And the incredible thing is, I'm aware of actually responds to this inspiring speech. God says, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. And as an elder, one of the most special things for me, and it's not about control, it's not something that can be demanded, but it's about leading the congregation. And, you know, to be honest, when you're leading your congregation, you don't know for sure all the time that what you're doing is the right thing. Even in a meeting like this, can we stop the worship? Can we change the worship? Can we give. What do we do? You, kind of, you try to find better. And sometimes the best you can give is maybe. Sometimes there's an absolute conviction, but there's sometimes, it has maybe. And what's really special to me as a leader is when well people who are following me are with you, We're not sat so there with our school and say, this is? If you are persuasive enough, maybe I will consider lowering myself to the point of, oh, I'm with you heart and soul. If yes, we're together in heart and soul, we can do great things. And Bob said, I'm with you heart and soul. Do as you wish. See, so they went to cross. And they asked for a sign, and they got the sign, so they came up. Jonathan and his arm bearer climbed up, and then we'll read from verse 13. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his feet. That is not a good position to be in as you advance towards the enemy. Yeah? But it doesn't that's the only way. <laughs> and his arm bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and Bob, because Jonathan went before and his armor-bearer killed them after him.
1: And so what we see is
0: a beautiful picture here, Neil can have You can be Jonathan, I'll be Bob. And you lot can be from the stars. And yeah. So we've just come a the wrong face, now, we've got to fight all these guys. Okay, now, you've got the sword. Maybe I've got a club, or a plough or I don't know what I've got. But you're, you're attacking all these guys. Have and suddenly Bob goes, actually, I've had second thoughts. So if Bob has second thoughts, how are you going to attack him? How are you gonna make sure you defeat him, even if he's a really good swordsman? You've gotta surround him. You've gotta come from behind, you've gotta come from his blind spot. He can only fight in one direction at a time. But if Bob is faithful, what does Bob do? You've that all seen the movie. So <laughs> 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 And he can be secure and he can be confident because I have literally got his back. <laughs> Every great leader needs a Bob, every great follower, we all need a Bob, and the tragedy in much of the church is, instead of Bob guarding you back, Bob stabbing you in the back, or Bob's on the sidelines, Hey, hey, there's one over there, no, 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 use your rifle, <laughs> Giving advice from the sidelines, yeah, like in the rugby, all these guys who think they can do better than the guys on the field. (laughs) (laughs) In some cases, it might be true because my granny can play better than you. You do like my granny. But there's something beautiful, beautiful about the confidence you can have moving forward to defeating the enemy. When you know your back is covered. And we need to cover one another's back. We need to be like that. Following closely. And our leaders are flawed. Neil has some flaws. I know that shocks you. <laughs> he has some weaknesses the job of us all is not to point out his weaknesses although you know come to him and and help him wherever we need but it's to cover over his weaknesses not cover them up we don't like things but it's covering over so I led our Durbanville congregation for a while and I led our health congregation for a while I'm a lousy pastor Andrew once said when I was preaching from the pulpit I wouldn't trust Mike to shepherd my dog. <laughs> 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 and he was kind of exaggerated a little bit, and it's something that I've learned. And actually that's why he asked me to lead a community in the early days. He said, Mike, I see you gifted as a teacher, but you've got to learn to love people. I see your weakness, and I wonder how have to work on that. But when I was leading the congregation, even though I had um, tried to develop that part of himself is a weakness. And I didn't need other elders or deacons and people pointing out and going, oh, what a terrible pastor. He definitely not I Steve Porker. who's a legendary pastor. on my city. And he made me look better than I was. Because people felt careful and love. Steve wasn't the greatest preacher. But together we made it to look better. In Belpes I had, I've been a for a while. They've left a big hole for to put You should see how the people that put are authority already, just being left by a couple of just, they just ooze, shepherding. And we're close friends and they know my weaknesses, but they didn't go around pointing, they had my back and then they look better than I was and together we had victories with them. Otherwise, we need Bob's. So, Bob and Jonathan have this great victory. They win. How many of you have heard this story before and you remember that Jonathan won? And he won a significant victory. It must be significant because it's in the Bible, right? So let's tell you how significant it was, shall we? Because you might have missed this little detail. From <laughs> <laughs> verse 14. And at that first strike, which Jonathan and Bob did, they killed about 20 men. Yeah. Oh, That's a little underwhelming. isn't it? <laughs> does it shock you that it says 20? Yeah. It's like, what difference is that going to make? Do you remember how many soldiers the Philistines had? 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, as many soldiers as the that they're standing on the shore and Jonathan kills 20 men. What a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to do the, the same attitude, you know, because I, sometimes we've got up on the bed and I say, hey, so-and-so, uh, we, we went out and we saw somebody get saved. Oh, um, uh, what, yeah, that's no, not awesome. It's but, you know, one salvation. not really that big a deal, is it? Yes, it's a big deal! Yeah. Yes. You know, the ironic thing is, I, I've been in a meeting where some of these, some of these, one person's testified of miraculous healing, and people have been more excited than that, and hearing about the five salvations. Yeah. Which is more exciting? Healing's great, enough. I'd rather somebody be saved than you. Amen. But it seems insignificant. And here's the trap that we fall into. We look with our human eyes and the things that we do can feel so insignificant. Now I was in Brazil a few years ago and a friend of mine, to passed away too, And he said to me, he said, Mike, I just want to say thank you. You've changed my life because I listen to your preachers online. And whenever he whenever got something, I listened to him online and, and he told me about a couple of things he'd heard and I would change his life. And I really appreciated that. But I came home and I was preaching. He said, You know the guys on the Sundays? They're changing lives right in Brazil right Because without those guys, <laughs> this <laughs> wouldn't be recorded and so you wouldn't be able to hear it. <laughs> messy is difficult. I grew up in a church. With kids just working. If you had to deal with this snotty, rebellious, kid with attitude, I probably wondered why you are doing this in the treat. I'm sad with because of that. And I missed that to from the world because of that. The guys who aren't in this room now because they're with your kids, they are been in something of eternal significance. And they'll only probably realise it in eternity. But you know, we can give them a little taste of the glory now. And tell them I'm going to appreciate it. Yeah, it I was in Selingdale one time. And I was preaching to minister. And so I just went to the bathroom. Because it was a good idea if you don't need the, the bathroom in the middle of your priest. Know? <laughs> Especially if you've got to tell them. That's <laughs> going be a good So I went into the gyms, and in one of the stalls, and I won't go into too much detail, but somebody in that had an accident. And if I tell you, there you was know, stuff on the walls, on the floors, I mean, literally got the stalls. It looked like a proof of exploded in <laughs> um, So I'm like, what, what, what do I do about this now? Because I can't get my hands on these because I'm about to. and then a guy came with a mop and a bucket and began to clean it and I said to him, I don't think he would say when he introduced himself he said, I don't think he'd in Josh again he said, I'm still a visitor this is the heart of Jesus and you know what he did was more important than what I was doing out there seriously because when visitors come and there's some visitors here. If the preaching stinks, you might come back again. But if the toilet stinks, you're going, I don't know
1: Cleaning a bathroom stall
0: can help somebody come to salvation. Weird as it sounds. You can't underestimate saying the Lord to somebody when they walk in just so that they feel comfortable. Praying for somebody how I many of you pray, and kind how of you know you should pray, but you can't think actually your praying is a little bit insignificant? Well, let's be honest, we're in church, we're allowed To be honest, we're Who' But we're going to be like oh, see the greatest significant, So only twenty people get killed, twenty the signs so You think, what does that do? But this is what it does. As we read. And there was a panic in the camp in the field, and among all the people, the garrison, and even the raiders, the uh, raiders travel, and the earthquake, and it became a very great crime. And so what happens is, they, they begin to do what they can do, and God begins to be the secret See, God is not the God of the possible, he's the God of the impossible. And he's asked us to do what's possible. I'm not talking about doing things in i own strength. And I was like, yeah, I will do what I can do. But I'm trusting you to do what I can't do. And the great thing about that is, you know, I've seen people healed of uh, AIDS, pneumonia, cancer, TB. I was on a Zoom call recently, and a young guy said to me, can I just talk to you? It was a Zoom conference, he said, I just need you for two minutes before you switch out. I said, okay. It was 2 o'clock in the morning, there was a time difference, and I couldn't and that was, My attitude towards saying that extra five minutes was a bit wrong. Except when you, when you were last in Brazil, you had a prophetic word, and you prayed for couples who couldn't have children. I just want to introduce you to somebody. Ah. Awesome. But guess what? I'm not capable of doing that. What can I do? I can lay hands on people, I can pray. Only God can do the impossible. The great thing about that is, I don't get any credit, because it's not something I could do. But so God says, Well done, good faithful servant, because you did what you could do, so that I could do what I could do. <laughs> and then what happens? So panic comes in the end of the camp. And then from verse 20 it says, Then Saul and like all the people who were with him rallied. And went into the battle. Everybody's afraid until one person steps forward and it puts courage in other people. Who's, a, who's afraid of going preaching the gospel right now? Well, he's a bit nervous about preaching the gospel. That's okay. Just go and hang out with some people who, who will do it. It you know, will put courage in you. <laughs> And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was great confusion. Now, this. Now, the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time, who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites. Those who'd left and gone to the other side repented and returned. You want to see the backsliders and the prodigals return? Jonathan and Bob did something insignificant and it started a move with God. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the whole country of Israel heard, they followed and the ones who fled came back. And the church is full of people who are hiding, people who run away and there's many prodigals. And you can be like Bob. One act of obedience, one act of courage, one act of faith, and it can unlock the move of God way beyond explanation. Just some real-life examples, because there are many reasons we can feel what is significant. I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too weak, I'm too... When I was a young man, when I was a young teenager, I've told the story before. I heard feet that were one body in many parts. And it's in the Bible, so I can't deny it. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. So I went home and I thought, what part of the body am I? So, all part of the body? How got I be a part of the body? So I thought, I'm out of heart. No, I don't tell you other people that much. I'm out a feet, you know, shod with the, 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 you know, the gospel, and I, this, you know, I think it's safe when I speak. I am another life, another life, another that is not useful. And this is the conclusion I came up with. I'm the appendix. Because <laughs> nobody knows what the appendix is, or why it's there. You don't pay any attention to it until it gives you trouble, and then you remove it as quickly as possible. So I was the appendix. I thought I had nothing to offer. I always thought this, everybody's got something. Some people are clever, some people are sporty, some people are good looking, some people are charismatic, some people are funny, some people like me have all of the above. I'm nothing, not thinking, there's a lot driving everybody in you. It's like everybody's got something. I didn't have any of that. I have nothing to offer. If anybody's got insignificant, I have no friend. I wasn't not just captain of any teams, I wasn't on any teams. <laughs> if I went back to school reunion, they wouldn't say, oh, yeah, we hated you, but who are you again? <laughs> I was a number. Really. And I still wouldn't. Except one thing. Here's the part where I said, God, I mean significant and useless. But if you want to use you, if there's a way you can use you, then you can't. And whatever you put it in, he like said you can have it. And then you get a little bit more. And a little bit more. And some people sit in a church and they're looking at Andrew Snelly or Will what you've got to do. Because all the drug addicts have got to have whatever I've got. And so people sit there and look at these heroes of the faith and say, I wish I could be like them, And it's not about, I wish I could be like them. God, I I want to be as good, I want to make myself just as valuable as they. And whatever they end up (coughs) doing is what What counts. Because it's faithfulness to God. And what you. At the end of your life, you could go, it felt insignificant. But if you were faithful and the to God, it is of eternal significance. So real world examples. How many of you heard of the Hebrides revival? In the islands of Scotland was this incredible revival that we still talk about today. Do you know how that started? There were two old ladies who were so old and so afraid that they couldn't walk to church. And they said we can't get to church, so we will praying instead. One of them, Peggy Smith, and she prayed for years. And the revival broke out. And revival broke out so powerfully that then they sent preachers in. The revival didn't start with preachers; it started with Peggy Smith. Yes.
1: The Welsh revival.
0: Do you know why the Welsh sing a hymn before they play rugby? Because the Welsh, the Welsh revival. It so hard, it changed the entire communities. Hugs falls down, churches opened.
1: pit ponies had to be
0: retrained because they didn't understand the new language of the, uh, of, of the miners because they stopped swearing. And the Spirit of God was so powerful that wherever large groups of people met, hymn singing broke out. Now this thing of into is a tradition. but that's where the tradition started. It was born out of revival. And that revival started not with great preachers, although great preachers, and you can read about these revivals and hear about the preachers. It started in a youth meeting where a young girl got up and she just said, I love Jesus so much. you began to weep. she began to weep about her love for Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And revival broke out in a youth meeting that changed the nation. The South African revival under Andrew Murray. didn't start with Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray was meeting with a bunch of church leaders when chaos broke out in a youth meeting in that next hall, And he was sent to tell them to be quiet. (laughs) And when he got in there, he realized this isn't youth misbehaving, this is the Holy Spirit. And that revival changed South Africa. And that South African revival changed the world. Because a youth person did something insignificant. If you're waiting for Andrew Say, Neil, myself, to bring revival, it's possible that I think you'll be waiting a long time. Yes, we need the Jonathans, we need the Davids, we need the Elijahs and the Elishas, but you don't know want me really. Need? We need bonds. People who will make themselves worthy of everything. Give themselves heart and soul to the Have the backs of one another. Not be concerned for their own reputation or their own glory. Do the little that is possible and trust God who will do the impossible out of them. And do something far greater than our puny ability to rise to This congregation is pretty small isn't it? That's what my world looked like last time. And I look how many people there are in this part of town. And I look at how many. People in this part of time would be absolutely opposed to the gospel and would love nothing more than to shut churches like this down. The odds are overwhelming. You are facing an impossible task and there is no hope for you. Just like there is no hope for Israel. Except the world there. Jesus. In our home. And Jesus working through us. Jesus working through you. You allow yourself to be available to Him. You, as an individual, you as a community, It's say miraculous things. And I an pour of the Spirit of God. It can change things beyond your imagination. It has a significant, eternal impact—not just on this congregation, but on our friends, our families, our colleagues, our neighbors, and our world. Holy churches, we're not about just preaching. Not to be intimidated, not to be afraid, not to look at the size of the task and say it's impossible. But we look at Jesus and say, I don't have much to offer Lord. Maybe I've got some loaves and some fish. And it won't even make a candle. But we give it to Jesus. And he multiplies it far beyond my imagination. Are you willing to make yourself available? Are you willing to trust God to do be the impossible for you? If you are, and this is the kind a of thing I don't like. People say I hate people. Not for the, again, not for your reputation, not for what other people will think of you. But just as an act of courage and faith, right now for some of us to say, you know what, I'm taking this here I am. Seven. Well, let me you, I would love you just to sound a word today. Lord, I make invisible that would sign with my inner is to survive. Lord, we don't know that in a disarm of bearer that we've called off. But the incredible thing is we're going to be able to meet him one day and ask him about his exploits. And one day we're going to stand in eternity and things are going to be revealed and the eternal significance of our lives is going to be revealed to us. Lord, well, we don't want to waste our lives. And we don't want to be like those Israelites like hiding in caves, hiding in the systems. We want to be like that army guy. We want to be like God willing to go, willing to risk all for the sake of your name. There's a poem we have been reading a lot recently. And I just want to read it to us. Because this poem actually can become our prayer in this situation. And this prayer is called when I became a Christian, and this isn't about becoming a Christian, but I think it is about committing to our, our obedience to the Lord. But if you haven't yet fully surrendered to Jesus, listen to this as well. And i hope that we're going to become a good prayer. When I became a Christian, I said, Lord, my I fill me in? Tell me what I'll suffer in this world of shame and sin. He said, your body may be killed and left to rot and sin. Do you still want to follow me? I said, amen, I think. I think, amen, amen, I think, I think, I say amen. I'm not completely sure. Can you just not do that again? He said, my body may be killed and left to rot and sin. Well, yes, that sounds terrific, Lord. I said, amen, I think. But Lord, there must be other ways to follow you, I said. I really would prefer to end up dying in my bed. Well, yes, he said, you could put up with sneers and scorn and spit. You want to follow me, I said, amen, a bit. A bit, amen, amen, a bit, a bit, I say. amen. I might entirely show up and we just run through that again. You say I could put up with sneers and also scorn and spit. Well, yes, I've made my own and I said, amen, a Well, I sat back and thought a while and tried a different point. Now, Lord, I said, the good book says that Christians live in joy. That's true, he said. You need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. So do you want to follow me? I said, amen, tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lord, I'll say it then. That's when I'll say Amen. I'm not entirely sure. Can we just go through that again? You said that I will need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. Well, yes, I think I've got it straight. I'll say amen tomorrow. And he said, look, I'm not asking you to spend an hour with me. A quick salvation sandwich and a cup of sanctity. It costed you not half of you, but every single bit. Now tell me, will you follow me? I said, hey, amen, I quit. I'm very sorry, Lord. I said, "I'd like to follow you, but I don't think religion is a manly thing to do." He said, "Forget religion, then, and think about my son. Tell me, if you're not enough to do what he has done. Are you man enough to see the need? Are man enough to go? Man enough to care for those who no one wants to know? Are you man enough to say the thing that people hate to hear, to battle through Gethsemane in and fear? And listen, are you man enough to stand with at the end the moment of betrayal by the kisses of a friend? Are you man enough to hold your tongue Are you man enough to cry when nails break your body, are you man enough to die? Are you man enough to take the pain and wear it like a crown? Man enough to love the world and turn it upside down? Are you man enough to follow me? I ask you once again. I said a lot I'm proud. But I also say amen. 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 I said, on Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, it more. And as we stand here this morning, I understand the scariness of the call, truly, only to you. And courage is not the absence of fear, courage is only the fear of doing it anyway. And I see before me a courageous people, a people. Who know their God. And in Daniel we read, those who know their God will do great exploits. Not those who are most gifted, most powerful, those who know their God will do great exploits. And let's be a people who say, I know my God, I will follow him more and we will see him do great exploits through us. Amen.